0: And I think as because of that ease of access, right? Like you said, you can get an avocado flown in from Mexico. You can get vanilla beans from like Tahitian vanilla beans. And if you like, I still, it shocks me You, you at nature's basket, all of these fancy food stores, mm. you see narial Pani from Thailand. I'm like, why we live on the yeah. coast. Why are you, yeah. and it's like 400 bucks for this narial, which is clean wrapped and, uh, all of that. And we've become so wasteful because of this ease of access right we don't like we don't even have to step out to get food anymore yeah like one click you have groceries at your doorstep in under 10 minutes sometimes if you have a fulfillment center in your uh,
1: neighborhood yeah hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast it's another week it's another day it's another episode where you can get some food for thought and I mean that literally because everywhere I go now this is kind of conversation buzzing around about food I mean so many options right when it comes to just restaurants comes to cafes it comes to finding a niche within the cafe right are you a kind of um, savory menu are you more of the baked products the baked goodies and um, it just feels like food is taken up such a large part of our conversation but not always well ironically in a healthy way the conversation around food is not healthy even though we talk about healthy food it's always about my diet being better than yours or trying to copy a certain diet or doing certain things that are told um, that are good for you whether it's about fasting it's about superfoods whether it's about fibrous whether it's about carnivore diet whether it's about um, the the the, the uh, what's it called, the mock meat or the protein supplements or so many things. And where do we draw the line? When is food a personal choice? When is food what you eat because you enjoy the process? You enjoy it, you eat it with your family, you ate it because your family made it, and you have all these various... Um, Relationships food, you know, relationships which go back so many, so many years, uh, which, you know, re- recipes have been passed on, uh, you kind of celebrate it, there's a time you eat it, there's a time you get access to those ingredients, but now everything's changed from the food production system, to distribution, to access, to supermarkets, to delivery apps. The, the the conversation, the nature of food has just changed. And how does that affect us? The scale of population that we have in India, one plus billion people. Now there is ultra processed foods being unleashed on us. Are we going to see a replication of what happened in America with juvenile diabetes, the obesity, uh, obesity a- epidemic and so many things health related to that. And then on the other extreme is health related conversations around food. To talk to me about that, I have got Irina sachde who's um chef, an author, a mixologist, a blogger, to talk about her experience with food because she's spent many, many years cooking for the joy of cooking, for the joy of eating, for the love of food, her relationship with food from companion to coping mechanism. And she takes me through that journey of food with of hers. She talks about how there are certain trends which are not good for human beings, the importance of enjoying food on a personal level and appreciating what you put into your body just for the joy of appreciation. And she, of course, has a new book out which is called the No Waste Kitchen Cookbook, telling you how not to use, um, how to use the ingredients which you typically would waste in the cooking process. Also, how we can salvage a lot of the materials that are thrown in the process under the guise of perfection and wanting the best looking fruit and vegetable. It's a fun conversation. And if you like food, which, okay, some of us just eat for the sake of eating. Some of us eat for the sake of others. Some of we eat for the joy of eating. So all of you will enjoy this conversation with Adi, with Arena. I was really, really glad to talk to her and a lot of my points, which I made, which of course I do, were supported and some of them were shot down and i got some good points to think about as well and i'm sure you will as always i appreciate you being a part of the podcast tuning in every week do support it by going on whichever platform and giving it a rating if that option is available do like and share it with people who are likely to like it and do subscribe to the youtube channel because it helps put out the word and get this conversation and others like it out there and get the message spread the message spread the cheese spread the jam spread the butter spread the love thank you and god bless arena welcome to the podcast it's lovely to have you here today thank you for having me well you know when someone talks about food and talks about their love for cooking and their experience and relationship with food over years and in someone like in your case for 20 plus years you've uh been involved with food but the the concepts and terms being used nowadays you know like food lover food gasm, foodie it just feels like it's uh gone to a level which i can't personally comprehend because in my opinion food is something you eat something which is very personal uh something which you kind of are conditioned to but also develop a taste for as a result of your family your community and the region you live in and um but now more and more i feel food is becoming a sense of identity uh so what is your journey with food been and why are we sitting here today where food is a political issue or food is an issue of where you um, you know, align yourself, your ideology and who you hang out with and why you don't hang out with certain people.
0: <laughs> my We've touched a very, very uh, complicated and sensitive issue. But, As well. <laughs> but food, again, my whole life revolves around food uh, and I guess it's it's that way with a lot of culture, especially, but with India, if you see with uh, all the communities, food is like at the center of everything, right? Whether it's a celebration, it's the morning, it's, there's specific you know communities have specific dishes attached mm-hmm. to specific uh you know festivals to specific days uh food is at the center of everything for us right and so in my case i've been i grew up in a gujarati family where again there's just so much food around you all the time yeah and i've been what i've been cooking since i was like maybe nine years old i could cook a full meal by the time i was nine or ten that's impressive uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah it kind of came from not nece- i wouldn't say necessity because there was there, i lived in a joint family so there was always somebody to cook but in my case it was also the curiosity of how this can be turned into this and also from the aspect of i didn't want to be dependent on anybody to get access to my junk food I i grew up with 90s junk food which i'm not very proud of now
1: yeah, I um, mean, we, we all kind of grew up in the '90s eating I Good Day think, yeah. and Mari we biscuit, did, not right. really knowing that it's junk. Yeah, yeah. Right? I
0: was a full <laughs> processed food baby. Yeah. But uh, you know, as much as my mom hated it, I still found ways to go and eat packaged stuff and eat Maggie and
2: yeah, let's all be honest, of
0: that. I still I still love those. Yeah, yeah. I still love all of that junk food, but now I eat it in moderation and I've kind of trained my brain to like shift focus towards healthier things. Uh, and my relationship with food has been very, very complicated because when I'm sad, I need food, when I'm happy I need food my My emotional well being somewhere has become very intertwined with food somehow uh, and uh, it's it's weird like it plays in like when i when I was in therapy and I was talking to my therapist about how i had you know on bad days I've had meltdowns over like tiny things going wrong with my food. On most yeah. days I'll eat whatever is given. I'll eat, the, I'll eat junk, I'll eat healthy, I'll eat everything. But there are certain times where I'm just maybe in a bad space mentally and emotionally, and I'll be fine with everything. And then one tiny thing goes wrong with my meal and I will literally have a meltdown mm. and it was crazy because she made me realize she's like, you know what? For you probably food has been your only constant, your whole life growing up with no matter what you've gone through since childhood in your adulthood everything food has been your only uh go-to whether it's your crutch it's your support it's your everything So,
1: companion and coping mechanism yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah, it it became everything for me and so she's like because something goes wrong in that one tiny aspect even like one ingredient being not right or one component of your that particular meal not being right and that's your last straw and that's why your whole meltdown happens it's not literally because of the food it's all the other stuff that has built up but because food is your only constant and you think that's that's been something that you could have you relied on your whole life i used to have meltdowns uh with just something going wrong with my meal on that particular day so i think food i think overall as a culture we have a very very complicated relationship with religion also, right? There's different religions have different rules when it comes to food. Yeah. And then somehow politics has gotten jumbled up because religion, politics, all of that is somewhere, uh, you know, it's all intertwined and messed up. And so I think, but I'm, I'm one of those firm believers. I I grew up vegetarian uh, and I believe that everyone just should be able to eat what they want to eat especially as adults. Yes. I know X thing is bad for me and I shouldn't be eating it too much, but again, it's my choice. Let me decide whether I want to eat and live or die, or, you know, you can obviously tell people out of concern, but this whole thing of this activism, when it comes to being vegetarian or vegan, I, it really pisses me off. Like I'm one of those vegetarians that actually gets excited, uh, with really great dishes that are meat, seafood, all of that. I order Uh, you know, food for my friends when we're dining out.
2: Right. I get
0: excited about a well-cooked piece of meat because for me, it is the technical aspect and the flavor combination or the, uh, you know, the particular ingredient that fascinates me. I don't want to eat it, that's fine, but I'm not going to go around telling people that you shouldn't be eating it either or the other way around. I, like, you don't shove your chicken in my face, I won't shove my paneer in yours. It's, for me, it's been that simple. Uh, and yeah that i think food's just it's so personal everybody should just be allowed to eat whatever the hell they want
1: yeah you know the thing as you mentioned for me as well food has been um you know fortunately plentiful uh but it was never in a in a sense um you know gluttonous in that way right it wasn't Mm -hmm. like um it's 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 a form of status because uh growing up you know it was you know we come from a um a family which the cuisine is from south canada so it's a it's a lot. i wouldn't say coastal but it is from that region which you know is is a lot like um the the Kerala coast right so there's a lot of coconut a lot of vegetables unlike some of the other diets in karnataka which are a little drier which are um just by virtue of the region and as a result um you know there was this kind of what does chicken taste like because we grew up in a vegetarian household as well. And my, right. until my grandmom was alive, we kind of would sneak in a little bit of tandoori chicken and we'd feel really proud of ourselves. But, um, you know, fast forward to today where we're, we're quite chill. Like, you know, I live with my folks. My, my wife eats all kinds of meat. Um, my sister eats meat. I'm, I've, I've become vegetarian now over the past two mm. and a half years. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to draw to my personal choice, but this idea of food, um, is, is, um, it's never been, that i um define myself by what i eat at home Uh, um you know there is you know of course south indians uh tend to lean more towards rice there are some people lean more towards wheat and chapatis and some people towards bread um so regionally there was a certain um uh, set of elements that defined um, a, a diet of a community right whether yeah. what's grown in the region what's available as you said certain cultural uh, preferences certain religious yeah. dictates but now because there's so much globalization when it comes to ingredients right you can get like a wasabi um, uh, you know we can get like horseradish the wasabi thing sent yeah. to, you can get it in the store around the corner or you can get feta cheese or you can get uh, peanut butter and these things weren't available in the '90s so easily. Right, you'd pay yeah. a pretty premium to it to get it. Or you waited uh,
0: for somebody to come from the states or from which in itself America is exciting, in, right? Like yeah.
1: now it's like the, the the gifts are even more fascinating. Like oh my god, did you get the PS5? And earlier, yeah. like, what you got me a can of Coke like in '90s Coke yeah. in the can was not available in India. But yeah. I'm just saying yeah. by virtue of the the expansion of food choices, Um yeah. I, I feel you know, and this is again, please correct me based on your uh, your culinary kind of experience, it's because we, again, feel there's a certain identity of being seen eating a certain kind of food. Like I mm. still remember when I went to Goa back in, say, 2005 and six. you know, I'm the kind of guy, you know, if chicken tastes like chicken, it's not tasty. It needs to taste like masala, right? It needs to be completely disguised under a flavor, which I'm like, my God, this masala is so good. My friends are like, do you like the chicken or the masala? Yes. I'm like, the, the masala, dude. Let's be, let's make peace with that. But yes. if I would order like say butter chicken, you know, God forbid my friends are like, what the hell are you doing? You order butter chicken in Goa. Like there was such mm. a stigma because in Goa, yeah. you have to be eating the Goan cuisine, like fish and shrimp and squid and whatnot. Mm. And there was such a kind of, You eat it to fit in Uh, and I feel that in some way uh, has gone because as Mm. you said there are so many options now so you can go to Goa in the thick of the most popular seafood restaurant and still probably get away with like a really good local dal made by a Bihari right because that's how you know so many people have moved around geographically Uh, but on the flip side of that there is a different kind of stigma attached to food, which you just pointed out, right? With this activism around food, like you have the meat eaters going, oh my God, you know, mine, the, the, the carnivore diet, the, the the paleo diet. And so yeah. everything becomes a label by which you define your, your position, your exposure, your ability to kind of be seen as a worldly person. And yeah. someone who's like, yeah, I ate this shiitake mushroom and I ate this Wagyu beef. And I'm like, so, so after yeah. a point, what does food i mean one is food is nourishment um so maybe can we talk about the va- various aspects of food one is the basic human need for food to survive yes. um and then maybe we can talk about the other th- representations which you briefly talked about which is the religious implication right there are certain things you eat when you're um celebrating a certain festival a certain yes. kind of food that is served when someone passes away in the family and there's certain things at birth certain things at weddings but maybe just to start with the most fundamental uh, which is food as nourishment, and mm-hmm. can we from there go into your idea, uh, which has fueled the book you've written, which yes. is the idea of food wastage?
0: Now, like you said, it's become so excessive, right? Our generation, uh, especially like from nineties onwards, access to food from all over the world, it became so easy seasons were not they're still not followed sometimes, right? Because there's cold storage, there's ways to grow stuff in greenhouses, with temperature controlled, uh, you know, spaces where you can grow anything even without it being in season. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think as, because of that ease of access, right, like you said, you can get an avocado flown in from Mexico. You can get vanilla beans from like Tahitian vanilla beans and if you like I still it shocks me you at Nature's Basket, all of these fancy food stores. Mm. You see Narial Pani from Thailand. I'm like, Why? We live on the yeah. coast. Why are you yeah. and it's like four hundred bucks for this Narial which is clean wrapped and uh all of that and we've become so wasteful because of this ease of access, right? We don't like we don't even have to step out to get food anymore. Yeah. Like one click you have groceries at your doorstep in under 10 minutes sometimes if you have a fulfillment center in your, uh, neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the biggest reasons that we've learned, like we've just become very indifferent towards food waste. Uh, you know, and for me, that was one of the biggest eye openers, maybe five or six years ago where food waste, all of us, like, you know, when you're growing up and it's just not, your first default, uh, reaction to food waste is what extra food left over from the previous meal. Mm you know, like dal left over the next day or rice or some just that aspect, like cooked food that's left over, that's called food waste. Yeah. What none of us realize that the food waste actually starts right from the farm level because mm-hmm. most, we eat food in like, we'll eat a plate or something in under five minutes, we'll scarf it down, Yeah, but we don't realize how much time, physical labor effort, all of that has gone into growing that, food that we're eating on our plate, right? Yeah. Uh, th- some things take months or a whole year to grow. Yeah. Basic ingredients and veggies and fruits that we eat. We don't realize the amount of planning that goes into growing a carrot, a potato, an onion, just tomato, like all these basic staples that are in our house every day.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And I think if we kind of start looking at the food or ingredients like Pre-food, like before our plate, before our refrigerators. Uh, I think it's an eye-opener because so much ends up getting wasted, starting from the farm. The, people want perfect-looking vegetables and fruits, uh, which, like, it like it baffles me because what are you going to do with a perfect-looking carrot? Yeah. When you're going to chop it up anyways, you're not going to serve it whole to somebody and you're not going to put it up on your mantel. Why am I worried about a wonky and a straight carrot when I'm going to chop it up or puree it or do whatever to it, right? So that first aspect, first stage is there. The farm, the farmer loses out on at least 30% or more of their income because the person buying it from the farmer to then go down the supply chain doesn't want ugly looking fruits and vegetables. Mm. Then again, from the wholesale person, it whittles down to the resale. And from that point A to point B, because of bad storage, because of temperatures, bad mm. transport, more ingredients get ruined. So by the time it actually reaches our fridge, like the final retail thing, so much has been lost in on multiple levels. One is the ugly looking fruits and vegetables. Two is the secondary parts of the fruits and vegetables that are perfectly edible, but they don't even reach us like beetroot greens, carrot greens, yeah. Yeah. Uh, radish greens sometimes do end up on our plates in winters. but sweet potato leaves, um, uh, so many other plants, like we haven't even scratched the surface. Bindi leaves are edible. I learned that very late in life, despite being a chef, I learned very late in life that Bindi leaves mm. and sweet potato leaves are edible. Mm. Uh, so again, those don't reach us. The stems of cauliflower in cities don't reach us. We just get the white cauliflower. We rarely get the stems yeah. and the nice leaves. Uh, and I don't blame the people in the supply chain because it's more stuff for them to carry, like even your local wala it's so much more bulk for them to carry it, to have to then throw away at the end of the day. But if we as consumers start asking for more greens and leaves and stems, they'll be encouraged to buy that from the farmer. Can you imagine, let's like, say one cauliflower, at least 300-ish grams is the stalks and the leaves. More, mm-hmm. I would say, depending on the size of the cauliflower. All of that just ends up in a landfill or back in the compost somewhere or being fed to cattle, which is fine. But it's still perfectly nutritious food that can reach us and reach our plates. So yeah. we've just become very, very, <clears throat> you know, what what's the word? Everyone's just become careless. No one seems to give a shit as to how much food is getting wasted and long as they're getting what they want to eat, right? But we can't we can't go on for that long.
1: I, I wanna interject for a second here because I think there is something which is this um um appearance of what you eat right, right. Uh, i remember when i was in school um you know taking a full rice and like a vegetable whether it's a sambar or a vegetable curry or whatever the curry you call right. it in your family was not cool um it was not like the thing to do in your yeah. like in your dabba when you open it up when you open your, your lunch box if you have a nutella sandwich or you have a peanut butter jelly sandwich yeah. it was it was seen as oh cool you know he he, he has yeah. a yummy snack or he uh, but as a result you know like for, for, for instance um because you know, it's just been there, uh, in, in our house, like where we cook everything mm-hmm. from like bitter gourd with pineapple to, to different kinds of greens to, right. uh, I mean, the greens, which are just the leaves, ones with, uh, the, with the stem, which you kind of eat. Then you have these, uh, plants, which, you know, colocasia, I didn't even know that's, that's something we eat. We call it something else yeah. in Canada, but we make the stem, we make the leaves, we make this thing, yeah. which, so, um, now I'm 40 and I kind of appreciate the nutritious value, the kind of depth of our cuisine, but, right. <clears throat> When, um, w- when you said there's so much potential for food that we kind of just let go because we don't know it's edible, has yeah. there been a certain narrative of food that is acceptable, food that is being promoted by a certain set of people or a certain, uh, policy that promotes, like, say, lentils, uh, certain kinds of, of, of legumes, certain kinds of grain, certain kinds of main vegetables? But it's, it's because in some way it sounds, educational which is not happening right because if you go Mm. to certain rural areas they will just eat it because they don't that's their food but uh, now suddenly you're like oh you know you mentioned drumstick leaves or or or, or ladies finger leaves and uh it seems like the best analogy I can give you with this is like yoga suddenly became cool when Americans started doing it so is it like almost like that that when you go there and you see you know a certain Uh, Indian recipe being made by MasterChef Australia and they put these things like say um, ladies finger leaves or they put like you know uh, 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 drumsticks and Hmm. suddenly Indians or people are like wow I you know this this is Indian recipe and we take pride in that so is is there a conflict between narrative and pride and just miss and lack of information Uh, I
0: wouldn't say pride or narrative as much I I think it's just lack of information, like you said, right? Not everybody knows that every part of every fruit and vegetable, every secondary part of the crop basically, uh, is yeah. edible. And I think it really just comes down to education and doing a little more research. Right. Oh, what I mean by eating. narrative,
1: sorry, is that, is right. the, like, when you look at recipe books, popular recipe books, whatever the names right. are, cooking shows, you don't like, I'll, I'll give you an example. The reason I mentioned narrative, sorry to, about mm. to cut you off, is, but when you yeah. go to like, say, a pub, or you go to a bar, or do you go to a restaurant, uh, say, Asian, or you say, Indian, mm. there are only like five, eight, five ten vegetables, unless you look at, of course, the shiitake mushrooms, or you look at, right. say, the, 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 the edamame beans, or whatever, or you look at bamboo shoots, which none of them are from here, like, local to right. this geography. But otherwise, it's typically, um, you know paneer which is not a vegetable of mm-hmm. course but then you have peas you have onions you have yeah. cre- green peppers or bell peppers and yeah. three four other things like that but um, cle- <clears throat> clearly there are limited options uh, when you go out to a restaurant or unless of course you go specifically to like a place where they have a thali and then you know everything in that thali comes but yeah I'm saying yeah. generally the narrative is that there are certain foods acceptable or certain ingredients that are accept, acceptable in a public setting. Or am I just hmm. reading too much into this?
0: No, I don't think it's a public setting. It's about the cuisine, right? Say now, because you gave the example of Asian restaurants, a lot of Indian ingredients don't fit into that cuisine, don't fit into those dishes. So you won't right. see them in a mainstream uh, Asian restaurant or a
2: yeah.
0: say an Italian uh, place, you know. Uh, but I think it's that gap of knowledge between, say, the urban and the rural setting. Because if you go to farms, like, so, like you said, a lot of, uh, crops that we see more commonly is stuff that farmers are encouraged to grow because they are like cash crops or they grow faster and there's better yield and things like that. But, and you know, and they're not organic. So you'll always see if you go to farms that are run by the farmers, uh, you'll see a separate patch somewhere closer to their home where they're growing everything organically and so many other things than what they grow in their fields for commercial sales. Uh, And you actually want to eat what they're growing for themselves and not what they're actually growing for sales. (laughs) Uh, You know, so a lot of it is kind of, I think so overall in like the bigger schemes of things, if you zoom out a little, the whole industrial revolution kind of messed up our food system as well. Most people don't make the connection uh, because for them, then it just became about Uh, You know, finding crops that give you better yield uh, in terms of just bulk production, whether it's good for health, good for the soil that nobody thought of it back then, Mm -hmm. you know, just start growing one crop, which affects the health of the soil, uh, everything around you. It messes up your whole ecosystem because each crop or each thing that you're growing in different seasons uh, works according to nature's timetable, so-called because then those things kind of replenish the nutrients in the soil that the previous crop needed from the soil, right? So the whole point of seasonal farming is that, right? You let the soil heal on its own with other plants that are meant to be grown in that season. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they're also good for us in terms of what you should be eating in that season, you know, especially mm-hmm. in places that you actually have the proper divide of, you know, winter, spring, summer, monsoon, all of that. Uh, yeah those ingredients are meant to keep you nourished and healthy and warm in winter, or these ingredients are supposed to be cooling and good for you during summer. But that whole system with all this whole uh, industrialization of farming is lost because you eat anything, any time of the year, Not yeah. because, it's, you know, because of the uh, GMO feeds or just temperature control rooms, all of that is just messed up our whole food system.
1: You know, that's the strange thing because of this whole idea of getting whatever you want, whenever you want, from wherever you want. Right. Um You know, because I was, I think my mom was saying sometime about how during the monsoon, because you don't have, um, you know, access to too many vegetables, there would be certain other things which you would make, which would be, you know, making it out of grain or making a kind of dish which is, is nutritious, but doesn't have vegetables right. in it. So you kind of right. become innovative with your, um, with the things you have access to. Mm. But I feel, you know, the cultural component, there are two things I want to kind of understand over here. One is, you know, um, you, th- there's this 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 idea of, um, it's, it's in no particular order, but, you know, one side you have the superfoods, right? When people talk about kale or they talk about all these various things which give you a boost and you see all of those being added on, um, Yes. As as the key features and these b- bestsellers when it comes to recipes and how to make the best smoothie or how to make the best dish, which will which will jack up your immunity and um, mm. basically, you know, make you lose weight or make you gain, gain muscle and all these various things. Um, and again, you know, you have things with food, like fasting, which is an ancient kind of practice in, in many, many cultures. Yeah. And, and it's, I find it weird that, you know, in, we live in a country where there's a huge percentage of people who don't have food, but then you get to a certain amount of wealth and then you start not eating. <laughs> I just find it kind of weird. But that's um, that's one side is the superfoods, which is this new narrative, right? Where everywhere you, you, you have the, the, the fungi, which everyone's trying to eat and those kind of things. But then you have say these recipes which i was just referring to like certain groups which live say in arid regions would rely more on on on, on drier ingredients right which don't need too much water and yeah. then you live in the more plush regions which have more leafy greens which have more of these other m- more options of vegetables but as a result you have such diverse recipes which work rich culturally geographically right like mm-hmm. even within say, the coast of Karnataka, you have so many different kinds of cuisines, right? Like you live in Bangalore, they eat completely different food. The locals here than what um, the the people from where I came from eat. Um, But we seem to be kind of reducing all of them into one label, South Indian food. And the moment you say Mm -hmm. South Indian food, you think of a dosa sambar or an idli. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly speaking, like I've, I've traveled across quite a bit of India or even abroad to Indian restaurants and I've never eaten the food I get at home. Like yeah. people just say, oh, you're South Indian, you try some rice. Okay, that's one out of hundred dishes I've eaten growing up, right? So we kind of take away so much depth. And these things um, have so much, one, just nutritional value, but also so much... um signs to it right like you eat a combination of sour with a little bit of green chili you eat, a, eat that vegetable and they all go together for a certain reason now of course they call it molecular gastronomy and they do all these various uh things to it but huh. there is a certain balance right when there's something right. sweet like when you put pineapple in a dish you cut it out with bitter gourd and you put a little bit of sour so every dish in its way has had a balance right protein fiber uh yeah. even with the flavors the salt to this thing but now um, so my mom makes all of this my grandma made all of this right but now there's no one in my generation who can cook um that food so right. one is while we are embracing this whole new this 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 trend of healthy food nutrition and diet and getting fit and time restricted feeding and using this entire algorithm and cgms to understand what your blood glucose level is and superfoods and protein and and another side just ignoring what's already there instead of preserving that
0: yeah Uh, yeah it doesn't think our generation is just forgotten so much of the stuff that maybe our parents grew up eating the grandparents grew up they had better quality of life when i say quality of life in a different sense okay we might have a better quality of life in terms of you know, technology, infrastructure, all of those conveniences. But when I, when I, in this context, I'm talking about quality of life in terms of your own personal health and your body and how you feel about yourself. Uh, yeah. you'll probably agree. Like our grandmoms and grandfathers and all, and parents also started complaining about body ache and this and that at a much later age, than we started complaining about all of this. Yeah. Right. even little things of getting tired fast or, you know, breaking out all of those little things. In that sense, they had a much, much better quality of life back then, mm. even though our medical facilities and everything is so much better now. Uh, but I think this whole concept of uh, superfoods and all is just, again, it's for me, it's just labels because our country has such amazing ingredients like millets mm. right now, again, they're making a comeback. 2023 was the year of millets
2: oh yeah yeah of course.
0: And it, it's sad that you have to bring all of this back because they stopped growing millets to grow uh things like rice and wheat and you know corn and all of that whereas millets are actually great for the environment they're great for the soil they grow with minimal water they can be grown in a desert yeah it's you know it's it just when i'm saying it out loud and when i discuss these things with other people it just seems stupid that we've gone backwards and now we're having to take a full u-turn and come back to what the previous generations were doing which is it's stupid because we had it in our country all along all we had to do is listen remember and not think it's uncool that's all it was and it's great we it's amazing to have exposure to other cuisines Mm -hmm. from around the world i love it myself like i love trying different cuisines but that it cannot come at the cost of shunning your own traditional food that you know your family and your generations grew up eating. There has to be a balance uh, between all of that. So it's it's great to have access to kale, but you can't forget the other greens that we already have growing in our literally in our backyards and you know, farms outside the cities.
1: And this is what kind can, kind of concerns me uh, on a on a larger scale because we do live in a country where there are people struggling to make ends meet with food, right? Just getting three meals a day, which are nutritious. Um, At the same time, now there are, especially in the cities, more people who are being exposed to these big ad campaigns from these multinational companies. No. Um, so you and I said we do love the occasional Maggie. We grew up eating biscuits like Little Hearts and uh, Britannia yeah. Marie or what we call it Marie. I still call it Marie. I didn't know it's Marie. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, good day and that kind of stuff. But yeah. um how do you tell someone who's not had exposure to it, right? Someone who's still like finally got some extra bucks saying, you know what? I can afford a Domino's pizza. I can afford a pizza yeah. slice of whatever, whatever, chicken supreme or whatever. And how do we tell them that's waste? That's ultra processed food. Stick to what your parents eat, which is like good, you know, like a ragi mudde with chicken curry or whatever they they eat, which is much better for them. How do you tell those kids? Don't order and speak it, or, don't go pick up those packets of biscuits because a it's cheap, uh cheaper than what we paid for it. Yeah. It's more easily available and it's it's in some way it's it's being promoted everywhere they look online right they their favorite celebrities are drinking these drinks their favorite celebrities are pushing these products and i find them to be more criminal when you have like an actor from Kannada cinema or hindi cinema just going and shoving this food down when they literally get off the ad set and get on like this plan which their nutrition is put together which probably you know makes them this ultra human being and then at the same time just going and selling the shit and pushing it down people's throats isn't that the, the, the hypocrisy and when you put that on scale, you already see American children suffering from juvenile type 1 diabetes. You have, ch- yeah. you have people with obesity issues. And now they're pushing that that entire scenario onto this population, which is three or four times the size of that. Um, yeah. And it's almost, as you said, medical development has been huge since our parents uh, were growing up in the 60s, 70s or 80s. But it's almost like it's creating a machine to take care of these sick people that is going to produce very soon. And that's concerning. Yeah, but I think... Uh, there's no way of really stopping it per
0: se. Again, it just comes down to education where fine, you know, you, it, it cannot be all or nothing in the, you can't go to two extremes either, Yeah. maybe finding a balance in between saying, yes, it's cool once in a while to eat a Domino's pizza or yeah. have a, have an occasional packet of Maggie or biscuit, but then those can be your in between. You still need to f- continue your regular meals, Even if you're eating something as simple as dal chawal and sabzi. That's yeah. still better than eating a pizza for a meal, but you don't have to go to either extreme. You can still try new food and a little bit of the processed food, but that that's like a way bigger conversation, like you said right because it's all a money game at the end of the day, so the companies producing this, promoting all of this, the celebrities endorsing all of this, they're not really thinking about the impact of uh the food to the last person in the like the stakeholders that right, was yeah it's called that so they don't they're not seeing who the last person is to actually consume that in this whole chain of people making these marketing these selling these all of that it's not it doesn't reach their radar they're getting the money right so that's a that's a whole other bigger conversation to have um but i think that's what that's the problem right it comes down to education at the end of the day. And and it's sad, right? Because all of these people spend, like companies across the world, spend billions in marketing and packaging and branding to make all of these processed foods more enticing, more addictive, uh, more affordable and accessible, sadly. Uh, But imagine if they put even half of that collective power of the money, the brains that go behind marketing, all of that towards eating healthier. Can you imagine what a generation we would be, Mm. right? But, you know, people are spending money on land. Wait a
1: second, you're telling me I don't meet Complan to make me smart?
0: (laughs) No, man, (laughs) it's the sad part, right? They designed, like during the pandemic, I, I happened to do this online program because I was sitting idle about, the marketing and the branding side of food, where the food is not even important. It's how you place it, how you sell it, how you pitch it to somebody. And it was an eye opener as an adult in my thirties because they were obvious things, but I never made the connection. Like supermarkets are designed to encourage you to buy packaged and processed food. If you realize now that I will say it out loud, the veggies and all of that is somewhere at the back or right in the middle somewhere. You have to go through aisles and a whole maze of chips and processed food. And yeah, you're easier to get
1: orange juice than oranges. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But
2: all
0: of that is intentionally put right at the back. Can you imagine if they put fresh fruits and veggies and healthier semi-processed or unprocessed ingredients (laughs) right in front, right? Supermarkets are designed like that. And that's a crazy thought. If you think of it, right, if you zoom out and you're like, Wow, they're designing supermarkets to encourage people to buy junk. and they making sure, the sure that you get around. enough
1: of sugar in your system so you have the energy to go pick up the vegetables? It's all—it's all out of well-intentioned. But it's
0: counterintuitive, right? <laughs> imagine you're spending industries and yeah. companies are spending so much money. Can yeah. you imagine if they spend it for good? Use that power for good.
1: I can't imagine. Sadly, you know, the thing is that it's uh, maybe call me cynical or call me no. Interested. I am cynical, but yeah. like this, it's, that,
0: it's, that's, it's, that's that's a thought I want to put out in the universe. Like you can still make money. I know it's all yeah. about the money for them, but you but still can could, do
1: a lot of good by
0: good. Do that. Making your do profits. better yeah. things to feed people, better food, and I'm I will I'll be dead sure all the people making, manufacturing, marketing, selling all of these brands. They I'm sure they don't eat it themselves
1: it's just like social media right the guys who created it none of their kids are on it yeah at least a certain age so so this comes to a larger question is it's clearly a them versus us right in some way The people behind the brains behind these huge corporations the marketing the the agencies that push it and it's kind of interconnected right i read somewhere that you know a company which you know like say the multi multi multi-billion dollar company investing in all these things um, uh, they have money in food they have money in healthcare they have money in education they have money everywhere so it's kind of yeah. like a narrative that is connected right you you give people this food you make them sick you get them coming to your hospitals and their messaging starts from a young age right so that's why i said the narrative early on uh but i i don't know where to kind of take this right because you know the way it's going with climate change uh being a real threat to crop cultivation with monocrop farms with these modified seeds um you know i must say everything at least organic farming at this point cannot match the production needs of the planet is where but you still have now seasonal um you know your seasonal patterns changing uh rain's not coming on time water shortages um and this, this, along with this onslaught of this machine pushing out all this media, um, campaigns about certain kinds of food, right? Which is good right. for you or which is not good for you. And then you have these, these influencers talking about these superfoods and things. So it's kind of like a concerted, uh, onslaught onto people's, uh, consciousness about what they eat. And as you said, very rightly, it's a very personal choice, but it no longer feels like it's what you eat is what you enjoy and what you should eat is goes into your body right because if you if like now if I eat like a week of sweets for whatever reason I don't but if I do I clearly see it on my skin I still clearly feel a form of my digestion being affected yeah. but that comes from being aware It comes from understanding it comes from also being a little older maybe not wiser but a little more aware of what I'm putting into my face right but how do you you know from a young age when kids are entering this world with all these Various forces trying to get you know vie for their attention, and they're mm-hmm. they're they're in schools with, of course, access to tech and uh, the 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 information that that tech brings to them. How do you bring back this this idea that the food you eat at home, uh, and and in many cases the parents don't know either that they're, they they don't probably eat the food that their parents ate, right? Yeah. Um, so how do you bring this back and um kind of? I wouldn't say make it cool again, Mm. but this thing, because if if the way we're heading in my, in, in, in my mind's eye, I kind of see this thing where in 15, 20 years, we won't have a banana, but we'll have this, this, this banana shaped object, which is made with ultra processed materials or whatever they p- put in factories. It comes out looking like this perfect yellow object, which is shaped like a banana, which is called mm-hmm. a banana, but it's not a fruit. It's, it's just a banana, which is made in a factory. And You're scaring
0: like, me now. <laughs> I don't want to live in such a world. I want the world where everything is going back Imagine to the this, no stuff.
1: spots. It smells perfect, like, but like banana essence. It doesn't have any of those yeah. black spots on it. It's squishy. It never goes bad. It's got no expiry no. date, and no. it gives you the absolute joy of a banana, but absolutely no nutrition. And everyone will be eating bananas because you know what? Ten influencers are like. I look so good in a bikini eating this banana, which is made in a factory. I just, don't want to live in a world like that. <laughs> I'm just playing no. it out there because I feel no. it's in no. some way we want that. things out into the
0: universe. Don't put this out.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just being uh, a bit of a dick about it, but I'm just worried because right uh, then you have hopefully not
0: I see I see I see little hope because everybody is realizing like slowly So you know in this whole then versus us thing like you said right but I think now it it literally has to come down to doing your own research and seeing what works for your body like even with this whole diet culture I'm personally I'm dead against it if you eat everything unless okay I feel special diets need to be followed by people who have specific medical issues
2: yeah.
0: that they yeah. need to eat a certain way or not eat certain ingredients or things like that. If you have serious medical issues, that's when you need to go on a special diet. But if you are a healthy average human being, you don't need to go on diets like keto and paleo and whatever, because they're in the long term, they're actually harming your system more than doing good. Yes, you will see short term results with weight loss and everything, but you don't know what they're doing to your system on the inside in the long term. Right. And in some cases, correct
1: me if I'm wrong, isn't uh, many situations, of course, I can't, I'm not a medical expert. And if you do have a medical condition which demands a certain diet, do go to a doctor. I want to put that out there very clearly. But in many cases, like diabetes, for instance, isn't that caused by uncontrolled food or certain kinds of food? being ingested into your body i mean of course type one you're born with it that's different but in many cases it's just bad food that's caused these issues so can't you manage lifestyle and the food you eat can't that determine your health as well
0: it can that that's how it should be right food is meant to like you said nourishment but it's also meant to keep you healthy in certain ways so everything in moderation is great and it's a learning curve for me even at 30 something i'm still learning how to see what works for me, what doesn't. But I think everything in moderation a dieting and eating should not have to be a punishment. Yeah. So yeah. these yo-yo things that we all go on saying, okay, you know, during holiday season, we eat like gluttons, and then Ooh. punish ourselves saying, oh shit, now I need to lose weight again. That's but ridiculous. Try yeah. and keep, uh, I know it's easier said than done, but some moderation where you don't have to keep going through cycles of punishing yourself and depriving yourself of food that you like eating, you know, in your regular life, just sometimes just be strong and be like, okay, cool. I've already eaten X, Y, Z in the last two or three days today. Let me just eat a simple dal chawal or, uh, you know, stir fry meal or something like that. Just find a balance and find what works for you. This whole cookie cutter diet, fat diets, which everyone wants to do. I don't think that's, that's, that's not sustainable and that's not something that can work in the long term. Like do diets that, Re- that are required because you have a medical condition don't create medical conditions by going on ridiculous diets
1: and that's a strange thing right what i find fascinating about indians is the moment they enter an airport or a railway station or any place when it means the embarking of their holiday the number of snacks they buy it's oh. just like they're going you know it's like their last destination to nowhere right it's just chips and and, and yes. i'm like what are you doing like it's I don't understand this idea of snacking, right? Because it is ridiculous how much we snack as, I mean, not just us, I mean, around the world, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's chips or in some cultures, they have different kinds of snacks, but deep fried yeah. stuff for the most part, which is crunchy and um, makes you feel, I don't know what, but it's, it's, this <laughs> I don't know because, you know, while we, <clears throat> I see you have a background, you're a mixologist as well, right? Um, yes. Yeah. You've spent time with alcohol and you told me before we got on the call, growing up, alcohol was not demonized in your family because your yes. your, your father was. I mean, it was expo- my
0: family's bread and butter. We wouldn't, if it was demonized. You we mean your family's whiskey soda.
1: Right. I get it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you no, know, because there's this thing where you have these people saying so proudly, I'm a teetotaler. Yet they have a gut mm. that's bigger than a barrel of whiskey, you know, uh, because they've eaten everything from, yeah. you know, processed sugar to refined sugar to like ghee with refined clarified butter, everything going into their body. Yes. They feel so damn good about themselves. It's high, kind of holier than thou glow going, I don't drink liquor. You know, it's, it's like, yeah. it's, it's against Indian culture. I'm like, but it's not. It, and that's what I find. I want to talk if, to you if about they it. follow
0: yeah. my theology, I think the gods also drank i don't know dude but uh,
1: yeah.
0: i think yeah But I, some of the I, gods definitely
1: had a beer belly now i'm going to say this at the risk of getting cancelled by certain groups it definitely wasn't only food there were definitely some beer belly gods out there yeah
0: man <laughs> but right. i think this whole also i think i don't know if it's just an indian thing or it happens in other cultures a lot of your food and lifestyle choices are often associated with your character, which I don't understand. Like, you know, you're all taught, right? When you're younger, smoking, if if someone smokes, especially women, they lose character, drinking Ah, is not good, eating non-virgin, like, no, no, should not be friends with people. And I grew up with that sort of shit, right? But as I grew older and I started seeing the world and meeting people and crossing paths with different people. and forming my own opinions about who is a good person, not a good person. And even with the whole, you know, religious people are great people. Atheists yeah. are bad people, but mm-hmm. I have seen the spectrum where I'm like, you know, some of my closest friends, women, men, whoever are smokers
2: mm-hmm.
0: and they're great people. I love them. And then I have met people who are non-smokers and anti-smokers and they're shitty human beings, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And same thing with the whole religious aspect. I, I have. I'm an atheist. I, yeah, I'm an atheist. Why am I even hesitating? But like that, and then I see these religious people who are just really shitty human beings, man. Just nut jobs. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. They, doesn't make you a good person. Your food choices, your life choices, have nothing to do with your damn character. And it's yeah. it was such a hard thing to break out of because I grew up around vegetarians my whole yeah. life. Yeah, you know, I, when I was younger, I couldn't even be on the same table as somebody eating meat or fish mm-hmm. because it would make me gag because I had zero exposure to any of it. You yeah, know, and and it I didn't is, mean it. Yeah,
1: too. it is, as it, I, and, and on a very on a very fundamental level, that the smells are something you have to get used to, and that's, yeah, and that, that's not okay, a prejudice. That's, it just yeah, 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 yeah
0: but yeah. that's still your choice, and it's fine. It does not make you a bad person or a bad family, and
1: you know yeah absolutely uh, absolutely. absolutely
0: because you, you know sometimes you go like you around you shouldn't eat in their house they eat non-veg you can't eat in their house in the same vessels and i like just, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. eat in restaurants no dude you, you, who, how do you know it's the same plate that you are being served food in right now the previous person didn't eat non-veg on that plate before it got yeah. washed like yeah. you know all these stupid things that are attached to our food and uh, alcohol choices everything is good in moderation drink it's fine it's not a bad thing and it's not some sin but drink in moderation. Yeah. Yes, if you turn into an alcoholic, then it's a bad thing.
1: So why are we so good at adopting practices when it comes to... um Okay, first question. I want to ask you this because right. you grew up in a family that um distributed alcohol and you probably have an insider's point of view to this. What is the fascinating of Indian uncles with Black Label? <laughs> Johnny Walker Why are we obsessed as a nation by this damn drink?
0: <laughs> I think it just became a prestige and a status symbol right from as like say coming from a lower middle class or like working class and you go and buy the quarters and your uh what are the whiskeys i don't even want to name brands but antiquity what I'm 8 PM, um, yeah yeah like all of those and yeah. then one day to be able to afford a whole other segment of alcohol like black label just became it's amazing icon of status, and I've, I've arrived. It became a milestone of you jumping an economic class perhaps, or like it mm-hmm. became like an occasion, like wow, for now I can afford one black label and I will drink it only on occasions or share it with someone who is important to me. I think it just became, and I think maybe a little bit of their marketing helped, I guess, to put it in that it became aspirational almost, right? Unintentionally or intentionally, I don't know.
1: But, but how much ever you make beyond that money, which allowed you to buy that first bottle of black label, which showed a kind of graduation in your yeah. affordability of whiskey, even m- much, much more money later, it's still black label. I'm like, dude, what but is then this black happening? Black label then
0: becomes their default lowest benchmark. Now all of right. those have disappeared. So the black label is now your starting point Think Cool. I can do this for my regular basis. But they will still buy the more expensive stuff. A black label is a milestone that just stays. But then mm. after, everything below that is now erased.
1: I find that also quite fascinating because on one side, they'll have the 24-year-old scotch or they'll have the they'll yeah. have the single mod. But they'll keep that for their friends just to show that they can afford it. But when no one's looking, they run and drink <laughs> that black but label. It, it comes
0: down to comfort, I think, at the yeah. end of the day and that whole nostalgia.
1: It's f- uh, it's brilliant. Uh, I mean I'm just I, I drink black label. I'm just trying to understand my own weakness, right? Because yeah. I see my dad sometimes and he's ordering things, he's like, you know, we'll try this and you know, oh we should drink good whiskey and then again he's like, No, we'll just get yeah. black labeled. Like label. Yeah, he's surrendering yeah. to his
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I think that has just become like everybody's comfort default because at right. one point it was one of those things that everyone aspired to be able to afford on a regular basis and then I think it's literally just that.
1: Right. Okay. Now, again, with food and booze, right, with food and liquor, uh, when you look at someone like the Italians or the French, they drink while eating, right? They, they Mm -hmm. use typically it's wine. um, And even say the British who are pretty much ale and beer drinkers. um, You know, it's kind of food and alcohol go together, like they have a few pints, they Mm -hmm. eat, and then they continue drinking or they don't. And the French eat while they drink, drink while they eat. It's a pretty elaborate evening. I'm not saying every day, but that's also changing. But, um, now you look at, of course, that's come to India, right? Where you have people who are wine tasting and the connoisseurs and wine, and another bunch of activists in some in some hat or or another, where they just kind of look down their nose, going, "Oh, you don't know which vintage this is," and I'm like, "No," and it's red or it's white, and I'm and it's good or bad. It's it's exactly. just that. It doesn't
0: right. have to have a whole thing attached to it.
1: But our relationship uh, as as a group, I'm saying Indians, it's never been complementary to food the drinking is always get smashed and then eat, eat whatever comes yeah but because no.
0: it was never a social or a cultural thing right
2: yeah yeah
0: like the other example you give drinking was a very social activity with mm. celebrations with your meals all of that you're now it's becoming like that with our generation that we go out with, to, with nice meals and order a nice cocktail or a nice wine or beer with our food yeah but otherwise, if you look back, it was always in India, drinking was an activity you do alone in the confines of your house after a hard day of work or it was a very, you know, you get your quarter and sit in the working class. It was that it was not a social uh, thing, even with social gatherings, maybe and you never drank with your wife
1: be, and you never drank with your parents yeah, like men would a in right? a
0: separate room. Drinking, women are outside or in the kitchen. They finish their drinking, then they will come to the table and eat the khana that like they're being pop and
1: acid. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <Typically>. <laughs> it's- right, but it it was always it, it's always a thing where you they you sit after a long day of working hard, and then you sit alone and you drink, even when there is no occasion. It's, and it I was find that never fascinating a because social activity, but, right?
1: Like as you said as well, because from as far as I remember, I remember like my uncles, my aunts, my parents, all of them having a drink together. Uh, not all of them, of course, like some of them don't drink because they still have Yeah, but conservative they sat look. in
0: the same space while yeah. enjoying a drink. Yeah, but so it was for me. Thing, but that's a relatively newer thing or maybe a bigger city or depending from family to family. But yeah. otherwise, if you if you try and look at the bigger populations, always the men just drinking alone in the room. Oh, or absolutely! Religion, yeah, once get back from work, you
1: know. And then the last thing you do before you hit the sack is just stuff your face with food, and that's it. Call it lights out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But but you no, know, as as someone who's um, you know intimately involved with both worlds, um, can we? you know, you already said it's emerging more and more people doing it, friends going out for a meal, the emphasis is not one or the other, but just have a nice evening, a social outing. Um, but someone who provides both options, like you're a mixologist and you're a chef and Mm. you have experience in both spaces. Can we, are are we a culture that's heading more towards a, um, a balanced kind of what, what is the new version of the, um, Indian food, alcohol kind of relationship looking like?
0: It will depend from place to place. Our Cities were already there, right? You'll always see everybody out in restaurants eating, drinking together, even home scenes. So I don't think there's a particular, at I least mean, I can't see, like there's no particular trend or path as such. It will always depend on where you are. Like maybe right. tier two cities, the culture is different with drinking outside versus drinking in your home. In a city like Bombay, it's different. Bangalore is different. Delhi, I think it's just Depends on the people, I guess. How much? Right. They've because there is and definitely
1: still a taboo. Like there is alcohol, is still demonized, right? It is uh, bad yeah, in is, certain it is. states. I don't
0: understand why, but it
1: yeah. is. Unfur-
2: that's, I mean, where I'm that's coming the thing. From. I think
0: it's it's a lot that it's associated with character for some reason, you know. Mm. Same thing like with smoking and all of that. It is somehow associated with directly linked with character, even though it has no logical connection.
1: I'm the worst and human in society than I drink Especially with
0: women more than men though unfortunately especially more with, in the case of women and uh, you know than with men if you know women drink now in cities it's better but everyone always raised an eyebrow if they saw a woman smoking and you know, There's drinking. a certain point
1: I get of smugness when it comes to um, people who don't drink right I have observed this when I go for you know especially a couple of these disability summits I go to um, and I either given a talk or I come out and people are like, oh, are you going to have a drink after this? Because none of them drink. But it's like, yeah, I'm like, of course I am, man. Because this is the most boring fucking affair I've been a part of. I need a drink to get away from this. Yeah. But it seems like people who don't drink or never drunk or never touch liquor have this sense of smugness. And I think that ties up to you, what you're saying, this character of people who drink. They just somehow
0: think they're superior human beings. And it's fine mm. if they want to feel that way. Whatever helps you sleep at night, it's, it's cool. But I... Yeah, just for me, I've reached that point in life. I'm just like, let people do what the fuck they want to do. Yeah. You'll be happy not drinking. You'll be happy being a vegetarian or a vegan. You'll be happy eating your meat. You'll be happy drinking your alcohol. Everybody just do and coexist. It has no binding or it has no reflection on who you are as a human being. Like I'm, I'm the minority in all of my friends. I'm literally probably sometimes the only vegetarian there. Mm. And I'm perfectly happy, surrounded by meat and fish because they're all eating and nobody imposes it on me. And I don't sit and lecture them saying, oh, you shouldn't eat. I'm mean, In fact, I'm more excited. I see something, I'm like, oh, this sounds great. Order it. I want to see what it looks like and I want you to eat it, you know.
1: And that comes from a sense of appreciation because when uh, something I can connect with you on is that when I... Um, I'm at a table and the smells for me are more than the, the appearance of the food, right? But like yeah. I'd recently traveled uh, to Thailand and a couple of friends had ordered the, 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 the Wagyu stew and I was just fascinated this friend was telling me what what the, the, the meat is like and what it's supposed to be. Uh, it's a brisket in some kind of terms. And I was just like, wow. And my roommate yeah. as well in the US was a really good cook. And he would get like this big uh, rib cage, And I'm like, Dude, don't tell me you're eating that, right? I can fit in that. Like that's how big this yeah. is. And, but then the way he would cook, the way he would talk about it. When I find someone's true appreciation for the food they eat, it makes me excited, even though I don't have to eat that food and they don't yeah. have they, you know, and I find that a really nice human trait, right? Saying I, I might eat this, but I really f- uh, appreciate the joy you find in your food. Yeah. I think that's a nice way to look at it. That's what you said. And, uh, you know, but, but I yeah,
0: thing like as long as somebody's not imposing it on you, you don't need to impose it and make faces. It's their choice. And it's their culture and it's what they grew up eating. It's and fine even if you look at and culture it. and all
1: those things away from this, it's one individual enjoying the thing he or she puts into their face. I mean, mouth, but right. I just right. keep saying face, sorry. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, 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 right. But, you know, th- this, this, this thing of the amount of food we talk about, right, the amount that is out there about food. Like food mm-hmm. is an entire category of TikTok reels, is an entire inspiration, is an entire economy yeah. and it's clearly uh, something which should u- unite us all uh, because you and I are vegetarians, but we complement someone who eats meat because just as the ecosystem goes, that's how balance is things. Some people eat meat, some people eat vegetarian, some people yeah. eat vegetables, some people eat more fiber, some people eat less fruits. It, it's just a balance and how that that's how it's been. But it clearly seems like there's a certain set of diets that are being prescribed and that just doesn't seem sustainable for production of food um yeah. you you know and, and and while i'm on that point what i found encouraging while i did say we are being forced down certain foods by multinational corporations but a few months back i went and spoke at this uh, ngos uh, kind of they had a, they had a display at um, the the bangalore international center here in bangalore and mm. it was very encouraging to meet these people who ran these stalls because there was this one lady who i think is getting all the women in a certain village in kolapur together and they are preserving these old recipes making it in their own homes and selling it like in yep. various packaging uh p- p- packaged products there's another guy going around making only products based out of millet like millet cookies millet chips mm-hmm. millet. Th- and I'm, that's when i felt there is this kind of blend where while we can retain the ingredients local to the environment, you can also recreate this sense of coolness, like or oh, chips, you can yeah, get yeah. snacks to school. But do it in a way that suits what's available to us as opposed to just swallowing the entire prescribed way of lay's chips or you know, dominoes. Like you can do yeah. things, like and we're really good at Indianizing things, right? From English to cars to drinking. We've done it, we've done it all and done it pretty damn well. Yeah. So is there a future where? You know, just like how pizza, it has a paneer makhani pizza. Can we, <laughs> I still find that the most unpalatable dish ever. Yeah. Um, no. It's just awful. But as, as someone who's worked so closely with food and you love food and you want food to help people and be a cure and be a companion and be something which you can use to, to, to live a better life as opposed to something which either you, you, you can do, uh, you know, which kind of ruins your body or something which you're desperate without. Uh, yes. What can what can someone now sitting listening to us today do about um, their food choices?
0: <sighs> That's a big one. Uh,
1: yeah, like I well. said, right,
0: Everything <laughs> comes down to individual choices. See what works for you. Uh, don't worry about what is the in thing right now. If you think X dish or X ingredient is healthy and you want to eat it and you like it, great, eat it. Um, again, like I said, everything has to come. There cannot be a generic diet for everybody. There cannot be a cookie cutter approach thing. Everybody do, there, went, there was a stage, right? Two years ago, everybody was doing keto. Every second person I met was on keto.
2: Yeah.
0: How is it working for everybody? It cannot, because each of our systems is different. Yeah. There has to be some amount of trial and error, eat a few things, don't eat a few things, and you don't have to starve yourself to be healthy uh, or to lose weight. You have to find like the only time you need medical intervention, in terms of controlling what you eat is when you have a serious medical issue, but there is no need to harm yourself because you want to lose weight. Yes. All of us want to be healthy and lose weight. There are more sustainable. There are less punishing ways of doing that. It literally comes down to just realizing and a lot of our mental health is tied in with our food eating habits, right? Again, because food becomes a coping mechanism. Someone resorts to drugs, someone resorts to food, someone resorts to drinking, someone resorts to binge watching TV. Find what is your relationship with food. For some people, it's literally just sustenance. And I admire those people. I also feel sad for them, but I also admire them <laughs> because yeah. they don't feel the joy in eating things and they don't feel the joy in finding a new ingredient or a new dish in some other place. They just want to eat because it's fuel. It's like filling diesel or petrol in a car saying, right? Mm-hmm. It's a great quality, but I also feel sad because maybe because that's my relationship with food. I get very excited when I see a new vegetable or a new fruit or a new snack. Anywhere I go, like my travel, everything is always designed around food. I have a list of places like iconic places or local places that I want to eat at. for places I've never even been to. But yeah. then I give those lists to other people that when they are going to that city or country, you know.
2: Right, right, so, right.
0: Uh, that's my relationship, and it's taken me a lot of work and therapy and everything to understand. Like, oh shit, these are my pitfalls when it comes to food. Mm-hmm. So it's literally that you. Everyone has to just do a lot of trial and error, and you know what is the word self actualization, self exploration, and just give yourself time to find a stable way of eating where you can eat everything, not have to punish yourself, not have to eat food that makes you feel like a patient in the hospital to, you know, be healthy and lose weight. You can eat great tasting food and it can still be healthy. That, that gap slowly is bridging. Like people always associate diet food and healthy food with like bland tasteless cardboardy stuff. It's not true anymore. Hmm. It wasn't true back then either, but people are just realizing that now and finding chefs are finding better ways to create healthy food without it having to feel like a drab and saying shit I've got paid for Nikele types, you know.
2: Yeah. So
0: and yeah, it surprising. comes down to each each person. There's and no and thing for an entire group of people.
1: And there's another idea that we load it with flavors to make it rich but sometimes the simple flavors are so tasty right as you said like a dal chawal just or- a
0: well-made dal chawal I learned yeah. that very late in life can you imagine I started eating dal chawal after I was 24 yeah. for various childhood traumas which it's fine I don't want to get into it yeah. but like just you know that's another thing that the stereotype that I get really annoyed with right when I tell people I'm a chef or I love food for much and everything they just automatically think that I'm a snob and I only want to eat fine-dine fancy uh, things and like my standards are very high. And I'm like, no, for me, good food does not mean fine-dining or expensive or exotic food. Good food is just something that tastes nice. It could be something as simple as somebody's ghar ka dal chawal or a raste ka chaat. I'll eat everything. i eat everything from roadside food, sing chana, to the best fine dine food. But just, it needs to taste Good and be worth my money. I don't believe yeah. in these measly portions of something and pay thousand bucks for like one bite or something. Yeah, no, because That, that was whole side thing. of the food industry pisses me off a little bit, to be honest.
1: It, it, I it might ruffle feathers by saying this, but still. No, I think that's un- extremely fair because there's this notion of eating at a five-star being the equivalent of drinking your it first is. black drink. then
0: five-star food is shit food. You're not paying yeah. for the food. You're paying for the ambience and you're paying for the brand. You're not paying for the yeah. food itself.
1: But now, you know, like growing up, there's this restaurant called the Royal Afghan in Bangalore, at ITC, right? And they're really popular for like their kebabs and their, their dal makhni and that the, the, it's called the dal bukhara, right? It's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol of the ITC's, uh, Nawabi cuisine or whatever the cuisine is called. Yeah. And that used to be, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, we used to go there, but no, I can no longer eat that it's just too rich. It's not as tasty. It was the idea that was sold, uh, was yeah. sold more than the actual taste. But like now, you know, sometimes, uh, of course we order in occasionally, but like there's this thing my granddad, when he used to live alone t- towards the end of his life, he used to make this dish, which was basically this boiled rice, which is not red rice, not brown rice, but it's the actual boiled rice. It's with the husk. Mm-hmm. He used to, there's a dish in, we call ganji, which is in different forms. Yeah, we, all have, we all have a
0: version. Every culture has a version. Even Gungi, in yeah. other countries, like congee is Korean. Exactly. And yeah, we all
1: have a version of this. So this, this boiled rice, basically what he used to do is because he couldn't be bothered. He would just throw a bunch of vegetables, dal uh, into this ganji uh, dish, into the boiled rice, put a bunch of vegetables, yeah. let it pressure cook for like how many of his whistles. And he just opened the spot and suddenly the small flat he lived in would just be filled because we would go on Sundays to visit him with this beautiful smell. And sometimes now I'm just like, let's just make that dish. And I sometimes just sit in the evening yeah, with that and it's so fulfilling like you have this warmth in your belly and yeah. you know a uh, few black labels down <laughs> you eat that and not just for nostalgia it's actually yeah. a very fulfilling dish it's just tasty it's got everything you need it's got a, it's got rice it's got your veg- veggies it's got flavor it's got yeah. that heat i like eating hot like a stew in the evening and i really like that you know and um yeah and. and it's really fascinating to talk to someone whose journey with food has been so intimate and long-lasting. Yes. And um, on that note, could you tell me and uh, people listening why uh, you took the decision to go down this path of writing this book about uh, food wastage and how to manage that?
0: Right. So, Like we discussed sometime back, right, in our conversation about this whole concept of food waste, where we it was such a narrow view of food waste, leftover food. We forgot to whole other stage of growing till it reaches our table and forget all of that also right just in your own fridge from the cooking like pre-cooking process when you're prepping your ingredients right when you're peeling your veggies and chopping your fruits and chopping things this if you see a pile if you stop throwing it in the trash right away and you just like let it pile up in a plate or a bowl while you're prepping your ingredients you'll see a decent chunk is left behind and it's perfectly edible ingredients perfectly nutritious food which again our previous generations our grandmoms everybody uh, who cooked then used every possible edible part of a fruit or vegetable mm-hmm. that they knew how to use right whether it was chilka uh, of like different type of gores like parwal and karela and all of those things you can that make a chutney out right? of it right
1: sorry what chilka being the seeds right
0: no chilka is the skin sorry my oh the skin uh-huh. okay Yeah, the the peels, right? The peels, right? And it's perfectly edible. Again, with cauliflower, like I gave the example earlier, the green stalks that come with the cauliflower, they're called Mm -hmm. danthal in Hindi. Mm -hmm. And danthal ki sabji has been a thing in Punjabi food forever. It's not... So these are not new concepts. It's just that our generation has just forgotten it because we don't have the time and inclination or the know-how because A, we never bothered to sit and learn recipes from our grandparents. So that big gap, generational gap is there. So we never realize that that's the things that we can eat, Uh, fast paced lives, lack of knowledge, all of that put together. So, you know, the book has a mix of some traditional recipes, but also some new age recipes using the same kind of parts of fruits and veggies. So, yeah, this, you know, so the book is a mix of some old traditional stuff from different cuisines within India. And then some slightly Westernized, slightly modern recipes to just make it more exciting for people. And the whole idea was to kind of change the, you know, the branding of waste where you, if you look at it as waste, you'll obviously think it's waste and you won't know what to do with it. Right. But if you like say maybe 10 years ago or whatever, things like broccoli, baby corn, asparagus were new to us in India. So chefs, home cooks, everyone was fond of cooking always found creative ways of using these so-called exotic ingredients, snow peas and you know all these things that started coming into India or started being grown here, or even herbs, rosemary, basil, all of that is not native to us. Yeah. But everybody was so excited from their travels, from watching other international TV shows, books, that they found creative ways of using those ingredients. Yeah. So if we start looking at these so-called waste parts of fruits and vegetables as ingredients, and not call them waste or trash or useless, you'll automatically start thinking of fun, creative ways to use it in your daily food. And it doesn't take up any extra time. None of them require some additional prep or anything It's literally the same effort that it takes to cook your regular daily food. And this book can become like your daily reference book where these recipes are very basic or template recipes. Then you can build on them based on what you like and what, your creativity kind of comes up with. So these are just like your ABCs. So the, I, I tell people that when they ask what the intention of the book is, right? It's this is the ABCs of using up waste in your kitchen. Once you learn the alphabet, you can form words and sentences on your own. It's like learning a language. You learn the alphabet, learn a few words and then practice making sentences from sentences to paragraphs, paragraphs to pages, books. So, that's, that's the idea behind this book, just learn simple things. I included some cocktails to make it a little more exciting.
2: Hey, uh, <laughs>
0: <Nice>. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the idea behind the book It's just a simple reminder and to bring people back to their ABCs of food in their homes. That's it.
1: Well done. So what's the book called and where can people get it? it
0: it's called the no waste kitchen cookbook. Uh, mm. And you find it in most bookstores across the country and even online.
1: So do you have a drinking manual along that's in the Get Wasted drink book?
0: <laughs> I wish. A, that could be the next one.
1: That Let's should see. be the accompanying PDF. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: That can be the
1: next uh, stage. Mm. Arena, yeah. uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, all my your pleasure. insights and your uh, opinions and your experiences with food and alcohol and kind of helping people decide and just sort of giving them some sense of, you know what, it's my... it's it's my body what I decide to put into it this is what I can do it's experiment with it there's no good there's no bad there's no right there's no wrong and it's a journey that you can explore with yourself so thanks for helping people figure that out and giving that message and I really um, appreciate you taking the time to join me today
0: my pleasure thank you for having me it was a great conversation and I hope kind of people can learn from it or just take away something or maybe teach us something new
1: Absolutely. Look forward to that. And um, I look forward to getting a hold of your book and everyone listening can get a copy as well. I'll put the description in the link below. What I meant to say is I put the link in the description below. I just lost (laughs) the plot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it happens when you talk so much, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Cheers, Arina. Thank you so much.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode